0: So we talked about HRV as a measure of stress, and then there is a measure that is not really specific of a particular form of stress, but is very sensitive to all forms of stress. So that's why it can be useful, because it gives us an idea of the response of the athlete um, to not only training, but also other stressors that they might be experiencing. It could be intercontinental travel, it could be getting sick. It could be any sort of thing that impacts your ability to train and perform.
1: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high performance sport. This episode of the Pace to Performance podcast has me speaking to Marco Altini. So Marco is the founder of HRV for Training, but he's also an advisor for Aura Ring, as well as a number of other roles. I asked Marco pretty early in this conversation if he was surprised at the lack of investment in HRV monitoring in team sports, given that he's had a product on the market for a number of years now. He said yes. So we dived into the reasons why HRV may not have been adopted by the team sport coach community or the team sport staff community as he thought. So a really interesting take on HRV. We start off with what it is and the run through the basics, but then we dive into its application and the breadth of its application. So a really interesting episode talking about HRV. So for anyone in individual sports or team sports, this will be a really interesting episode for you. Enjoy. This episode of the Pace of Performance podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's a perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. TeamBuilder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing and goal setting just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with TeamBuilder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkindynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Also sponsoring this episode is Fusion Sport. Smarterbase from Fusion Sport is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. Built on an infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategy, process and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. Centralise your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using smarter bases, robust API and custom built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision making with role based access, custom workflows, mobile apps and personalised visual dashboards. And with the SmarterBase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand behind it. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash SmarterBase to learn how SmarterBase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness. So without further ado, over to the episode with Marco. Marco Altini, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's been a long time coming, but I'm, uh, I'm delighted to have you.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, Rob. Glad to be here.
1: No, it's fine. It's it's great to have you. I've been watching the trajectory, and we'll have a little chat about the business. But watching the trajectory from afar, I guess, and it's doing really well, and, and really excited to get you on. And I probably maybe the podcast that you've been on before haven't talked much about the business stuff, and we won't dive into it too much. But I'm I'm really interested to hear about that trajectory of HIV for training. But before we do that. Would you mind just giving us a bit of a, an intro to you?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, I have a mixed background between computer science and uh, sports science, uh, degrees in computer science engineering, a PhD in data science and other masters in sports science. Um, started a small company called hrv for training We build software to track mostly heart rate variability, and we'll talk more about that, I guess, <laughs> in the next hour. Um yeah, I have a role as guest lecturer here in Amsterdam at VU University. I'm an advisor at ORA or I mix a ring to track physiology mostly in the night. Um yeah, that's a bit what I do.
1: Awesome. Computer science background, obviously mixed with sports science. I mean I was interested for people that have come through that sort of background, have that sort of experience. Is is Coding is learning aspects of computer science. The net, well, we're kind of getting there anyway, but how far along that road are we with the computer science and the sports science getting closer together? And do
0: you think think it's getting there? Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, not for everyone, but for some people, I think it can be, um, yeah, a new path to explore. It's something where you can start to play with all the data that is gathered from the different devices that are now very present in any, I would say, professional environment, but even at other levels. And then start to do that and use that information to maybe help the team in different ways that are not what was uh, traditionally done. We teach a course here, um, which is exactly that data science for sports scientists. So basically the basics of um, how to process the data and basics of machine learning as well, and getting, you know, building models and evaluating the accuracy, things like that. I think that can be you know, something interesting also for scientists. Again, it doesn't have to be necessarily what everybody should be doing, but I think if some people start doing that, it also helps the whole industry because you have a better kind of approach and more critical thinking around. These solutions that otherwise are just fed to you, and then it becomes also more difficult to evaluate them if you don't really understand how they work.
1: Of course, I was speaking to a guy, Jason Weber, who's a high performance manager in the AFL, or was high performance manager in the AFL, and he wasn't. He was a strength coach. He was a strength strength coach slash sports scientist, but it got to a point where he was bringing on data scientists to deal with the data that was that was coming in obviously via, via the players, and quickly realised that if I'm going to manage these guys or this guy, I need to understand at least so I can nod along and kind of understand what he's talking about when he's relaying information back to, back to him. So I think that's going to be a real point where people of that posi- of that kind of position, although they don't deal with it themselves, have to be able to at least understand the terminology and understand what's been presented back to them when employing these kind of people. So I think slowly, or maybe not so slowly now, it's going to infiltrate into the whole eco, you know, sports performance ecosystem. It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, for sure.
0: That's a good point.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. So HRV, I think a good place to start would be, what is HIV, And for many people, they may know, but I think it's a good place to start because there's still people that don't know. What is HIV, and why should we be bothered about it?
0: All right, so HRV stands for heart rate variability. And it refers to the fact that the heart does not beat at a constant frequency. There is always some variation between consecutive beats. And this variation is not random. It's actually caused by how the autonomic nervous system modulates heart rhythm. And since the autonomic nervous system is changing its activity in response to stressors, Measuring heart rate variability becomes a way to capture our response to stress. So, in short, it's just a proxy to stress that is easy to measure, non-invasive. Something that we cannot do for other ways to track stress responses. For example, you know, hormonal changes are harder to measure, and you know, it takes um, different procedures, and you cannot really do that on a daily basis uh, at home. It's also expensive and the data needs to be processed in a certain way. So the stress response is present, let's say, in multiple pathways, hormonal and the autonomic nervous system activity. We cannot measure the autonomic nervous system directly either. We can only measure what the autonomic nervous system influences, that is heart rhythm. And that's why eventually we look at HRV because it becomes this proxy of the stress response, the easiest to measure. The one that is also probably at this point most widely investigated due to how easy it is to measure in different contexts um, and that's why we we look at it it's basically a simple way to look at the stress response and we all experience stress so it becomes fascinating I would say from different angles sports and non sport related really.
1: so your system hiv for training measures it in a different way to something like an aura ring or a whoop or whatever. But what are the various different ways that we can measure HRV?
0: So we can measure HRV traditionally, I'd say historically, with an electrocardiogram, so an ECG, the electrical activity of the heart, that is the same technology you have today even in a chest strap. So if you use an app like HRV for training or another app that allows you to link to a strap like a polar strap or a Garmin strap, which are typically the accurate ones, then you still use ecg technology so you measure near your heart the electrical activity and then you can um, basically from the bit to b differences compute your hrv in alternative in the past decade i would say there has been a lot of work with optical methods optical methods can work in different ways for example an aura ring or a whoop will be a device that you wear on the finger or on the wrist and that is measuring changes in blood volume. And of course, the blood is flowing when the heart is beating, so there is a very strong link between the activity that you measure at the heart and the activity that you measure somewhere else. In HIV for training, we also measure at the finger. In that case, we use just the phone camera, so you don't need any sensor, but the technology is the same because instead of having a dedicated sensor that is flashing a light, Um, Like you see in in the wearable side, you see the green light typically, or in the aura ring, you have an infrared light, so you really see it, but it's there. And then you have um, another receptor, an LED, that is capturing the uh, reflection of the light so that you can see these changes in blood volume. If you use the phone, it's a similar story, but the light, this light source will actually be the flash. So you use the hardware that is available. And then uh, you will capture changes, basically taking a video um, with the phone uh, camera. So all of that is the same process, just different techniques to look at optical methods to quantify changes in blood volume um, when the heart is beating. So these two technologies, ECG and PPG, are not really interchangeable, meaning that there are some differences, Um, but the Basically, the change in peak-to-peak data in the PPG signal, so the signal from optical sensors, is mostly due to the change that we can measure in terms of heart rhythm with acg So the link is so strong that typically we have shown also with our data in different validation studies. But the same is true also for Aura and other devices. The Um, when you go to extract these HRV features so HRV numbers from a sample of a minute or five minutes of data they are basically equivalent when you do it from the ECG or the PPG so you can get this information with both methods uh, reliably at this stage. It does not mean that any device can do it, it has to be designed for this purpose and most devices are not, they just try to measure heart rate that makes the data sometimes not usable for HRV, but when the device is designed for HRV analysis, so then
1: any of the two technologies can do this, this has been some uh, work very that you've well. You've done recently and you've published recently, especially on your, on your blog as well, HRV for Training. Optimal measuring conditions. Can you talk to us a little bit about what would make optimal measuring conditions and talking to the uh, maybe give some context as well for that team sport? coach who's working with multiple athletes and trying to navigate that scenario as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not very easy. So first I think we need to contextualize a bit what we are interested in measuring, right? So we talked about HRV as a measure of stress and then there is a measure that is not really specific of a particular form of stress but is very sensitive to all forms of stress. So that's why it can be useful because it gives us an idea of the response of the athlete um, to not only training, but also other stressors that they might be experiencing. It could be intercontinental travel, it could be getting sick, it could be any sort of thing that impacts your ability to train and perform. So just an overall marker. Now, if you want to look at this overall marker, we cannot measure any random time of the day or the night because the autonomic nervous system is always continuously readjusting depending on the things we do. And a lot of these adjustments are transitory and irrelevant for our application of interest, which is to quantify this overall stress. So to quantify this, um, let's say, baseline stress, stress level, that is what results from the most impactful stresses and not just from any useless transition, like, you know, having coffee or eating something or walking up the stairs. Like, we don't care about these changes. We care about your state at rest as a result of the past few days, for example, of stressors and cumulative stressors, the strong ones that have a real impact on you. Now, to get a snapshot of that, we have basically two moments in which we can take a measurement that are not impacted by all these other transitory stresses that would just confound the data and make it not particularly meaningful. And these two moments would be, either we measure during the entire night, we measure first thing in the morning when you wake up so if you measure first thing in the morning i think we are used to do that also for other parameters sometimes maybe even just body weight or blood pressure or whatever it is it's a standard condition that you can try to reproduce every day you do that before having breakfast or having coffee or exercising so before all of these stresses have transitory impact on your physiology as soon as you wake up you take your device or your phone and you take your measurement and that is a reliable snapshot of your resting physiology. The alternative would be the night when you're sleeping. In the night, it is important to use a device that is providing you with the entire night of data, or at least four or five hours, because if we look at just a few minutes, like some devices do, some also very popular ones, like the Apple Watch. It's a device that has not really been designed for this. Later, they added the feature, but still they provide a few data points per night, And they can be all over the place because there are changes in autonomic nervous system activity also tightly coupled with sleep stages, for example. And sleep stages happen any night at different times, right? So if one night the device is sampling that you are in deep sleep and one night it's sampling that you are in REM sleep, there is going to be a very large difference that has nothing to do with your baseline stress level but just with the fact that you were in a different sleep stage. So this is simply to say that we cannot rely on just data points collected every few hours throughout the night or a different decontextualized time points we need to use the full, the full night of data and average that to get a good snapshot and at this stage both aura and whoop have changed the way they work so that it is working that way so they all provide the night the average of the night so that it's actually um, uh, very similar data between the two devices. Similarly, Garmin now started developing and uh, releasing some um, yeah, on some of their watches the same feature and this also provides the full night. So all of these now provide the same data because they use the same technique. They don't use different methods like they were using until last year when they were had a slightly different method that was also a bit more noisy. So now I think these on my, all of them are, are pretty good for for this type of assessment if we want to use it in the night and not in the morning now there are some differences in there some are, are of course practical there are different costs if you wear a device and if you just have a phone or if you just have a sensor uh, that you pay once as opposed to a subscription at the same time there are other practical reasons for example in some cases it might be harder to take a morning measurement because maybe um you work with athletes and it's not that they want to use this you are telling them to use it and then they just might forget it's a bit different from the situations in which an endurance athletes decide to use this technology and they will just do it every morning because it was their choice let's say so it can it it can differ and in that case maybe a night uh, device to measure in the night like a ring or um, a hoop band or whatever can provide you with that data with, uh, of course, less effort from uh, from the person that is collecting it. So, typically in team settings, when we work with with teams, we have a mixed setup where some players maybe use the app and then measure just with that. The ones that remember or that are more into it, the others maybe just uh, have a device like an ordering and then they link it to hrb for training, and then the coach would get the data that way. It is important to just pick a method and use that one consistently though, because you cannot one day use the night data and one day the morning data, because there are differences you're measuring at a different time. If you measure in the morning, it is later. So you measure after the restorative effect of sleep, you measure after the stressors have happened. For example, let's say you play in in the evening, then the night data will be more impacted by the game, simply because it's earlier. So it's likely that you have a suppression. It does not really mean that you have not recovered. It's just that you're measuring very close to the source of the stressor. So the interpretation of the data also needs to account for when you are measuring because there are some differences in there in which maybe a morning measurement might be optimal, but a night measurement might be more practical, and therefore you still use it, but then you are less reactive when there are changes. You see a suppression just because there is a late stressor. You wait another day to see that, for example, things go back to normal and then you have nothing to worry about and things like that.
1: I'm going to take this opportunity to ask this from, for, to someone who's kind of on the inside of this type of industry. Is there much collaboration when it comes to the, the, the kind of two big ones that we're talking about, Whoop and Orr, and you said they're kind of aligned aligned with the way they measure HRV. Is that just them reacting to research and being on the kind of the same page? or is there actual some sort of communication going on?
0: I think that it's simply, um, it was inevitable the fact that not doing it this way, it would be incorrect, both physiologically and technologically. So not using the full night is physiologically wrong because there is a change during the night due to the circadian rhythm and due to sleep stages. So. Autonomic nervous, okay, we are unconscious and you think, okay, it's a best moment to measure because I'm sleeping. But while you are unconscious, the autonomic nervous system is very active. So as I was saying earlier, if you just use a few minutes, then it's going to just be very noisy data. So I think that book tried something differently. Maybe they generally thought that that was a good idea to just use five minutes uh, of deep sleep. That was what they were doing before. And then uh, it was clear from the evidence and also research studies that had looked at that that they were really off. Like they were missing this moment. And even if you are accurately detecting it, um, you are still just looking at five minutes. Then the other problem is that the, the technology just cannot detect sleep stages accurately. Right? We can measure heart rate and HRV, uh, but sleep stages are estimated by autonomic nervous system activity again. So changes in HRB, changes in temperature, movement a bit. We try to come up with slip stages and the accuracy is not too bad, but it's also not great, right? There are obvious limitations there to the point that when you isolate five means, you cannot be certain that that is a certain slip stage, right? It is maybe more likely that it is a certain slip stage and not another one, that you cannot be certain. So due to all these limitations in, I think, how the visage works and the technology that we use, it was not possible to just use an approach that is not averaging the overnight. So eventually, I think a the field converged about, towards about that. that affect, um, yeah, I don't think there is much, uh, probably much conversation going on. But still, uh, regardless, I think uh, it's very good for the industry that we arrived at this stage and you can see this also in how the data is interpreted then it differs greatly and maybe later we can talk about that because i think it's really important when people use these tools um one thing is to talk about the raw data and the hrb that is being measured and to say that that is accurate and another thing is to look at whatever readiness or recovery scores are built on top of that how that information is used and there indeed the discrepancies are, are obvious i think um, a good way to look at this, at wearables in general is to look at these metrics and seeing which ones they agree and in which ones they don't. So the ones where they agree typically are the ones you can rely on because it does not make any sense that you use different sensors and the data is, is completely different. So if you look at heart rate and HRV and maybe temperature, these kind of things, you will see that they are very similar across devices. But then if you look at sleep stages or readiness or recovery, then they're all over the place. So I think you know already which one you can trust and which one may be um, a bit less.
1: You mentioned a few things that can affect HIV, coffee, uh, you know, eating, just moving, basically moving around, whether there's a, a, a night game previous that may have to delay how you interpret the data. Is there anything else that practitioners need to be aware of of how HIV could be altered?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, we published a paper just end of last year where we looked at some of the major stressors, let's say, that um, are quite common or that people notate often when using these tools. So um, the largest stressors were by far sickness and alcohol intake. So I think these are very important. Um, Well, sickness, hopefully we, we, we see it rarely, but at the same time, Um, even just alcohol intake has a large effect on the data, which means that it's important that um, we take care of lifestyle as well, right? If we use these metrics, because otherwise uh, we see responses that have nothing to do with the stressors we care about, training, or other things that we are trying to manage, uh, but it's just confounded by other lifestyle choices, let's say. Then for... um, In terms of training, this is very coupled to the intensity. So, the response typically to high intensity training will be a much higher suppression of HRV. Lower intensity training, typically, that is not the case. So, the intensity will drive much of the change, sometimes also more than the volume. Um, For people that have a, um, a regular cycle, I would say the menstrual cycle is also an important factor because you have variations that then are linked to the changes in hormones so if you have um, a reduction in hrv during the second phase of the cycle the luteal phase which is let's say quite typical or at least uh, consistently shown in research when we go and average this data then you can see that that suppression is linked to something that you're expecting and then Basically, you do not associate it to something else. So, that is also important to know, even just as context, even though it's not that maybe you will do something different, but then you do not interpret the data as a change that was driven by maybe a poor response to training or something like that. It's just a suppression that happens because of the other hormonal changes that are going on. So, that is also something to consider um, depending on your athletes. Um, what else? I would say this probably are the main factors uh we also of course for professionals that maybe travel frequently travel can be a big one depending also on um, how far they travel uh, maybe in uh, in the states could be a bigger problem than uh, in european countries where typically you don't go across many time zones uh, all in once and then uh yeah i'd say th- these tend to be some of the most important factors that um, need to be at least uh, annotated so that we can contextualize the data and interpret it better.
1: So we're just going to take a very quick break in this chat with Marco. Hope you join part one. So over in part two we have a little chat around other opportunities that HRV monitoring can potentially give us. One big one in female athletes and females in general is menstrual cycle monitoring. Then we have things like flagging illness which is become into very much the public domain because of covid so really interesting part two coming up with marco this episode of the pacing performance podcast is sponsored by omega wave omega wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military, and law enforcement organizations. OmegaWave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about OmegaWave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. And this episode is also sponsored by Stanta College. Stanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa Applications are now open for courses, including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSC in Performance Coaching, and MSC in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit TantaCollege.com for more information on how to apply. And now back to the episode with Marco. You've worked with the the business and provided the solution to, to, I'm sure, many teams, football teams, rugby teams, cricket, whatever, whatever sport it is. Do you think HIV is being adopted by team sports as quick as what you thought it may be when you first started HIV for training? Do you think the usage of HIV and its application and its influence on training from a team sport perspective, do you think that's as far along as you thought it might be at this point?
0: No, no, honestly, okay. I think <laughs> it's not. Um, Why do you so... think that is, Marco? Uh, I think partially it's uh, educational, maybe. Uh, it's still something new. Um, it's not so easy. And there is a, there is a component there in which uh, this is not something that is typically even taught, right? Uh, in my master's, nobody has ever talked about HRB. So it's, it's not something that you learn, even as a sports scientist, I would say. So that is probably part of the problem. Um, and I see this a lot because the when things go well, typically it has nothing to do with, for example, the level of the team. It has everything to do with the person that is bringing this to the team because maybe they work with um, a low-level team, but they really understand this technology and the physiology and what it brings. Um, and, and that is all that is required. Basically, it is someone that, has worked with HRV for one reason or the other. Typically, maybe they had an interest and did their master's on HRV or something like that. And then um, basically, it is as simple as that because they they know what the data can bring. It's just an objective marker of stress, of internal load that is not necessarily associated just to training and therefore allows you uh, to see something that otherwise is difficult to see when you only see the external load and the training they do and you never know how the body is responding, and things like that, so I think partially is is educational, then the technology really cocked up only recently, so that is also another aspect because before it was really not practical so even um, I don't know in Europe you know we football is probably the main sport in many countries, so even the teams that maybe fifteen years ago or earlier were using HRV it was really impractical, right? They had uh, maybe to wear straps during the night or to do tests in the morning, everybody at the facilities, and they were maybe doing it like once every top days or even weeks. So but the all longitudinal aspect, which is what matters and is just today, was not there. Now there are much better sensors. So I think it's a combination of factors and um, hopefully both the educational aspect and the technology will um, yeah keep improving in the years so that there is um, a bit more adoption of something that is, I would say, extremely simple to use at the end of the day these days and can be insightful, especially in uh, situations where there isn't that much in terms of uh, how you track the response of the athlete and the internal load, um, which can be even more difficult sometimes in team sports, right, with respect to even endurance sports where this is more used, you still have a lot more information in endurance sports when it comes to the response of the body to the exercise because heart rate is much more telling than what it is in, in team sports, right? So things that you measure um, are, just, uh, are just more informative in that context, but still the technology is just more. So yeah, multiple factors, but hopefully Day by day, we keep trying to <laughs> provide some useful information and see this adopted a bit more.
1: Is there any big changes that you've made to your system or big changes that you've seen to other systems that you think has made a big impact on the uptake or the potential uptake of this technology in teams, in, in Teamsport environments?
0: For, for sure, the ease of use, I would say. Um Just even when we developed the technology, just using the camera and not requiring sensors, I think that helped, Uh, at least uh, in our user base. We saw that uh, people definitely prefer to work that way and not to have to wear anything first thing in the morning and take their measurements just using the phone. And I think similarly, the, the new sensors that measure in the night also brought a good level of um, of innovation that can enable this kind of measurements in a much easier and unobtrusive way so those things can help um, however none of them helps in interpreting the data right uh, so there i think um there is still uh, there are still let's say more discrepancies between how the tools operate um, we have an approach which is simply based on what the research and the science is doing which is very simple you collect data for a while and then you build what we call the normal range so it's just a range of values in which you expect your data to be if there are no abnormal stressors or things that are not going well and then at that point it's easy to flag deviations from this normal range That you can identify potential issues. So that is how the entire platform is built. And when we read data from the night devices, we also do the same interpretation because we think that you should be looking at the physiology and the response more than um yeah, building basically scores that confound that information, adding behavioral parameters like activity and sleep and things like that. Those are all important for context, but What you want to see, especially in professional environment, is not these combinations of uh, parameters and variables, but is the actual response of the body. So that is why you should be looking at the raw data and the physiology, but still be able to contextualize it with respect to an athlete normal, because otherwise, when there is a reduction, you never know if it is meaningfully lower or if it is just a bit lower but you shouldn't care because it's normal day-to-day variability and the basically the oscillations that you always have in any physiological parameter. so you have to be able to distinguish what is a meaningful change and what is not and that is the layer that we add on top of the data uh, with the software
1: do you think these metrics like recovery or readiness have the companies have obviously tried to appeal to the masses which they clearly have but for that i suppose the percentage of the population that you work with with your, uh, your your system it's actually made that a lot harder for you in terms of education in terms of developing a system to actually distill what that actually means and and, and show people the way like you've just just described to the actual things that make up these scores versus the score itself has it made it more hard harder for you
0: yeah it it can be harder because um these tools are pushed a lot right they have uh strong marketing departments let's say and then uh, they focus a lot on these metrics because it's also part of their value let's say for the for the customer at the same time um there are obvious limitations in there uh, and i think it's important just to explain what what is the issue, and people normally get it. So even if you just think about um, you are measuring the physiological response, and then uh, maybe you are doing a training camp, so you are training more, and then um, your athletes are doing again more activity, and their readiness or recovery scores will penalize them for doing more because the model. Expects that when you do more, you are less recovered. It's just as simple as that. But then that is not the information you care about because, as a coach or a scientist or a sports scientist or whatever it is your role, you want to see the actual response of the body. Because if the HRV, let's say, is still within the normal range or responding or positive, let's say, then it means that you had a good response to that increased load, which is exactly what you want to see. So the physiological data gives you the answer, is it responding well to the, to the Lord or they're not responding well to the Lord? Well, if you look at these scores, typically they are confounded by what was the behavior that changed in a way that if you, you assume that you know more because you put more pieces of information in there, But then at the end of the day, you actually know less. Because if there is a reduction, is it the body that did not respond well? Or is it because maybe sleep was a bit different or activity was a bit different? And again, this is not to say that sleep and activity and so on are not important. They are. But they are context to see when there is a change, if it was coming from that or not. But it is not what you should be looking at when you look at the response. You should, I think, just be looking at the physiology. So all these numbers then eventually, I understand why they are there, right? Again, as you said, for the for the mass market and the consumer, they can even be useful because maybe for someone, it still makes sense when there is a reduction in, um, in some other metric related to sleep quality or things like that, that their recovery is lower, for example. So it's not that this all of this does not make sense. But... When you're looking at uh, measuring something in a sports setting, a professional setting, or even not a professional setting, but if you're measuring something, why are you doing that? I think that you should ask yourself that question, right? So if you're measuring it to understand the stress response, then you should be looking at the stress response. And that would be, in that case, the HRV, because that is the only parameter that they measure that is linked to the stress response together with maybe a resting heart rate. And see how that changes in response to the stressors, um, as opposed to uh, basically combining it with uh, other behavioral parameters.
1: I feel like I've got a I've got a great insight here from someone who obviously practices what they practices what they preach in terms of training and using this technology, but uh, but is still developing a system for other people. So, have you got any good use cases from a team sport setting? obviously don't have to mention any names or clubs or organizations any stories that you could tell us of how this technology has been integrated and how it's made an impact on you know training intensity or reducing or increasing people's involvement but at a reduced scale you know some story that because of how hard it's been to to integrate it might be quite nice to have some success stories that i'm sure you've got
0: <laughs> yeah well i would say that um something that we we hear a lot especially in professional environments when there is a lot of traveling is that is one of the key aspects because they control a lot of what they con- can control right and in terms of training and uh, maybe also at this point also anything that is associated to sleep and trying to have a certain routines and things like that but then When you travel, um, there is a disruption and that is going to impact athletes very differently. I think that's when the data comes in because it is something that is very individual. So you will have athletes where there is absolutely no effect and you will have athletes where you have a large change. And that it may be a situation that also is repeated over time because people tend to respond similarly to the same stresses um, over periods of time, and depending also, of course, on other stresses available or, or present. Um, and that, that allows them maybe to start implementing some changes and then looking at different protocols to, to try to um, avoid what would become a situation of, a negative chronic response or suppressions that are long lasting and things like that. Others, uh, well, especially, unfortunately, in the past few years with uh, sickness being very predominant uh, is simply an additional marker that is gonna flag that something is wrong. Um, the changes due to sickness are so large that they typically don't leave you with much doubt, right? So, heart rate is gonna be very high, HIV is gonna be very suppressed. Um, Yeah, maybe here an important point. Like we look at HRV more than just heart rate just because it is more sensitive to stress. So that is the only reason why instead of just looking at resting heart rate, you would go through the trouble of looking at HRV. That is also a bit of a more noisy signal, is that it is more sensitive to stressors. So there can be many situations in which heart rate has barely changed and you have a much larger change in HRV. Now, sickness is not one of those cases. Like in, when you're sick, heart rate is also going to be very high and HIV very suppressed. So it is actually much easier to detect. Uh, you can be a bit more specific with sickness with respect to other stressors that will suppress HIV, but you don't know exactly um, maybe where the stressor is coming from. So there, it can be something that allows you maybe, you know, to do a COVID test or something like that or isolate or make sure that, um, yeah, you can handle the situation a bit better just because you have a red flag a bit in advance. It can be maybe even a day before uh, you have other symptoms and things like that. So that that is something uh, we keep hearing um, that is quite effective. Yeah, I would say some of them, as you can see, the, the common theme seems to be like the unexpected stressor or unplanned stressor or uh, the response that, you know, even travel maybe it's not unexpected, but still, um, it's a type of stress that maybe you don't normally account for because you think about training and everything, and then you have some people that respond worse to that. Um, in terms of the actual uh, the actual training and and games and things like that, um, yeah, I wouldn't say there are any particular pattern that. That you would expect, especially because we always need to remember that HRV is the response. So, this is why it is useful, right? It is not the input, it is not the load. You can have a good HRV after high load because that is the response. So, if the response is positive, typically a day or two later, everything is great. If the response is not positive, then there will be suppression in there. And even pre game, um, there is something that maybe especially in team settings or situations where there is a lot of playing, right, with respect to endurance sports where maybe you compete twice per year, right? It's dramatically different situation there in the use of HRV because we uh, don't talk much about HRV the day of your competition, for example, because in endurance sports it's so rare that normally you might even not care about that particular day in terms of the data. But in, uh, in team sports, this happens a lot more frequently. So we need also to understand what we are looking at there. And that is a different situation because maybe if it is especially something a bit more important or uh, yeah, a situation where there might be a slightly more sympathetic state. So uh, HRV might be a bit suppressed, but that is not a negative sign or it does not mean that the athlete cannot perform. So we need also to be able to understand that when a suppression or a couple of bad days are having a negative impact on someone's physiology and when everything is fine, but we just have maybe a bit of a reduction because of uh, a pre-game situation or something like that. So all of these situations, um, yeah, can can play a role and, and be, be used eventually at your advantage when you have collected data long enough and understood some of the patterns um, and look at these um, changes over time in response to various stressors for some of your athletes. Um, psychological stressors as well, as well um, depending also on uh, the coaching staff around you. Uh, I've heard some stories there and uh, changing a coach and uh, the old team data changing dramatically oh, wow. in a couple of weeks due to the presence of such coach in the yeah. in, in the room. So uh, yes, yeah, psychological stressors are a big deal. Obviously, we all know that in our lives, and especially at um, certain levels where you know states are high. Um, and those can be also reflected uh, both acutely and chronically in this, in this type of data
1: and for successful business owners very stressful
0: situations <laughs> <laughs> not talking I don't about know what are
1: talking about <laughs> <laughs> so one, th- one thing i spoke to shan allen around and this is i know you know shan was around menstrual cycle tracking and using these kind of wearables and and what what are we seeing a response to hrv during various different phases of the menstrual cycle and how so can we that, how see can that it be used? a bit
0: um let's say that we see a suppression in the second phase, in the luteal phase, and a slight increase in heart rate, uh, but the, um, so the variability between people, but also within the same person across cycles is so high that this is not such a nice, um, a smooth signal, let's say, that really tracks it um, particularly well. So. I would not say that it is very easy to track it that way, but it is some important context that we should keep in mind because when we see some changes that agree with the expected pattern, then again, we just know that the change might be coming from there, and therefore we do not try to associate it to other stressors. Now, if using certain wearables that can track also temperature, that would be a much easier way to keep track uh, of the cycle simply because the change in temperature is, uh, yeah, it's basically a perfect match almost with the change, um, that you see across the phases. So it is much easier to track it that way. Um, but yeah, in HIV data, it can also be a factor that basically confounds the way we would look at the data similar to all other stressors. So it's important to um, uh, basically keep track of when it is so that we can, um, yeah, properly contextualize and interpret the data.
1: I know you mentioned around look at the normal range, which is obviously something you do at HIV for, in HIV for training. But the big question is, when should coaches take action on the data? Is it solely looking at that normal range, or is there some? Is it deeper than that? Any any explanation would be to help coach would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so how do we use this data, right? So I would say first thing first is to just collect data for several weeks. So do not even think about doing anything for several weeks. If you really have time and you are implementing this way ahead and maybe just to observe the data first, I think that is even better. Uh, just a couple of months so you start looking also at how things change in response to different stressors in your particular environment. When you actually want to use the data to make some changes and not only observe these uh, variations, I think uh, here is also where the research has changed a bit approach over the years. So initially, it would be very reactive, meaning that there is a suppression. So we do something. We um, we change training intensity for today, for example. We try to scale it down so that we do not stress the body too much. Now this was done at the beginning. Right now, we do not act in that way anymore is not so reactive we wait for what we call baseline changes the baseline is simply a weekly moving average so it's just the weekly value with respect to the normal range now the normal range would be for example something between a month and two so if i use let's say two months of your data to determine what is your normal then on a given day if i have suppressed score, I can see that it's below your normal, and I know that there is suppression. But then I could also say, okay, yes, suppression, but how do you feel, right? We combine the information. It's not just about the data. Obviously, we also need to look at how the athlete feels and include other types of information. So say the athlete feels great, and there is suppression, then we do not have such a reactive approach. We do not change anything. And then we wait for the second day. Second day, everything bounces back to normal. Great. So we haven't done anything and everything has, has responded positive. Now, if we still have another suppression, then the baseline, also the seven days moving average will start to go down. Because when we have two or three, basically, the, this moving average will start to go below the normal gains as well. And then we have a more chronic form of stress, we could say. It still is a couple of days, but it's not just one data point anymore. It's repeatedly. poor response. So that is, I think, a good time to start um, trying to find um, a reason for that change and then implement some changes, even sometimes regardless of the reason. Um, Again, manipulating load or trying to give priority to other forms of recovery, um, sleep or whatever was neglected and anything like that, that could um, bring things back in the normal range. So I would say do not necessarily act on any single suppression because there is just normal variability and sometimes there can be a suppression that is difficult to, to explain. If we measure in the night, it can be literally anything. It could even just be a heavy dinner and then you have a suppression for a couple of hours through the night. Uh, in the morning is more unlikely, but still there will be a suppression sometimes where maybe, I don't know, there was just something that was really stressing you out when you woke up and you were thinking about and there is always some variations. So let's try not to be too reactive and then look at changes in the the seven days moving average with respect to your normal range. When that is going down, I think it's a strong signal that something is off. Now, there's always a difference between uh, the studies that are also using this approach and real life again. So if you have an acute suppression, and you are feeling very poorly, then maybe something is off. So you don't want to wait for like four days before you do (laughs) something, right? So maybe you're sick today. So I think we always need to balance the two. And typically using data and subjective feel, it's a good combination, right? So how are you doing, how are you feeling, and anything like that, Uh, muscle soreness and all parameters that can be providing um, the full picture, and then your objective physiological stress uh, with HRV and then you try to combine those um, in the days in which you have some doubts. Otherwise, look at the the broader picture and, um, and the trend. There are other ways to look at the data, but I think um, this is a good start because otherwise it's uh, yeah it gets uh, very nuanced and I think uh, it's really good if we start looking at daily scores and baselines and the normal range. I think it's really a, a very good way to, to look at the data that has been also shown in, in many different research studies.
1: Awesome. Great info. Before I let you go, Marco, because I'm going to let you crack on with your evening, what's the next, where's, the, where's this technology going?
0: <laughs> Is really Good big? question.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Um, so, um, let's say that in the past decade, everything has changed a lot in terms of measuring, right? So sensing technology got a lot better. Um, it's easy to track HRV now with many different devices, and they finally even agree on the data they give you. So that is fantastic. <laughs> we are actually measuring something. Then I think um, the, now that it's easier to measure and these technologies are deployed at a much larger scale, both in the population but in also in teams, I think it starts to get more interesting to see how to act on the data and how to potentially influence the data, right? What can we do when things are not going well what can we do to actually bring things back to normal right and there is research on different aspects from breathing exercises to training manipulation and those sort of things that could maybe stimulate parasympathetic activity or get your um, yeah, physiological stress markers back to normal and how does that influence also performance which eventually is what matters more than the physiology itself right so that is the outcome that we wanna eventually uh, influence. So, all of these aspects, maybe how we actually impact the data and um, yeah, interventions and and all of that, I think will be um, a lot. There will be a lot more work on um, yeah on that in the next uh, in the next year, hopefully.
1: Superb. Well, anyone that wants to know more about you, your work. The The product, uh, HIV for Training, where's the best place for people to go, Marco?
0: Uh, right now, Twitter, maybe, at altini underscore Marco, and then websites is H R V dot marcoaltini.com, and that's, uh, yeah, I think all that you need to know about me.
1: All covered, all covered. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Have a great evening, and look forward to uh, catching up soon.
0: You too. Thanks, Rob. Bye.
1: Thanks, Marco. Tune in to episode 413 of the Pacey Performance podcast big thanks to Marco for giving up his time and sharing his wisdom when it comes to heart rate variability also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics Fusion Sport, Omega Wave Satanta College and Team Builder for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys so I always do appreciate their support big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next week